Chapter Four of Book Eight of Les Miserables, Volume Four by Victor Hugo. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Patricia Hayes. Les Miserables, Volume Four by Victor Hugo, translated by Isabel Florence Hapgood. Book Eight, Enchantments and Desolations, Chapter Four. A cab runs in English and barks in slang. The following day was the third of June, eighteen thirty-two, a date which it is necessary to indicate on account of the grave events which at that epoch hung on the horizon of Paris, in the state of lightning-charged clouds. Marius, at nightfall, was pursuing the same road as on the preceding evening, with the same thoughts of delight in his heart when he caught sight of Eponine approaching through the trees of the boulevard. Two days in succession. This was too much. He turned hastily aside, quitted the boulevard, changed his course, and went to the Rue Plumet through the Rue Monsieur. This caused Eponine to follow him to the Rue Plumet, a thing which she had not yet done. Up to that time she had contented herself with watching him on his passage along the boulevard, without ever seeking to encounter him. It was only on the evening before that she had attempted to address him. So Eponine followed him, without his suspecting the fact. She saw him displace the bar and slip into the garden. She approached the railing, felt the bars one after the other, and readily recognized the one which Marius had moved. She murmured in a low and in gloomy accents, "'None of that, Lisette.' She seated herself on the underpinning of the railing, close beside the bar as though she were guarding it. It was precisely at the point where the railing touched the neighboring wall. There was a dim nook there, in which Eponine was entirely concealed. She remained thus for more than an hour, without stirring and without breathing, a prey to her thoughts. Towards ten o'clock in the evening, one of the two or three persons who passed through the Rue Plumet, an old belated bourgeois, who was making haste to escape from this deserted spot of evil repute, as he skirted the garden railings and reached the angle which it made with the wall, heard a dull and threatening voice saying, I am no longer surprised that he comes here every evening. The passer-by cast a glance around him, saw no one, dared not peer into the black niche, and was greatly alarmed. He redoubled his pace. This passer-by had reason to make haste, for a very few instants later, six men who were marching separately and at some distance from each other, along the wall and who might have been taken for a grey patrol, entered the Rue Plumet. The first to arrive at the garden railing halted and waited for the others. A second later all six reunited. These men began to talk in a low voice. "'This is the place,' said one of them. "'Is there a cab, a dog, in the garden?' asked another. "'I don't know. In any case, I have fetched a ball that will make him eat. "'Have you some putty to break the pane with?' "'Yes.' "'The railing is old,' interpolated a fifth, who had the voice of a ventriloquist. "'So much the better,' said the second who had spoken. "'It won't screech under the saw, and it won't be hard to cut.' The six, who had not yet opened his lips, now began to inspect the gate, as Eponine had done an hour earlier, 
grasping each bar in succession and shaking them cautiously. Thus he came to the bar which Marius had loosened. As he was on the point of grasping this bar, a hand emerged abruptly from the darkness, fell upon his arm. He felt himself vigorously thrust aside by a push in the middle of his breast, and a hoarse voice said to him, but not loudly, "'There's a dog.' At that moment he perceived a pale girl standing before him. The man underwent that shock which the unexpected always brings. He bristled up in hideous wise. Nothing is so formidable to behold as ferocious beasts who are uneasy. Their terrified air evokes terror. He recoiled and stammered, "'What jade is this?' "'Your daughter.' It was, in fact, Eponine who had addressed Thenardier. At the apparition of Eponine, the other five, that is to say, Cloxu, Goulmer, Babet, Brujon, and Montparnasse, had noiselessly drawn near, without precipitation, without uttering a word, with the sinister slowness peculiar to these men of the night. Some indescribable but hideous tools were visible in their hands. Goulmer held one of those pairs of curved pinchers, which prowlers call fanchons. Ah! "'See here! What are you about there? What do you want with us? Are you crazy?' exclaimed Thenardier, as loudly as one can exclaim and still speak low. "'What have you come here to hinder our work for?' Eponine burst out laughing, and threw herself on his neck. "'I am here, little father, because I am here. Isn't a person allowed to sit on the stones nowadays? It's you who ought not be here.' "'What have you come here for, since it is a biscuit? "'I told Magnon so. "'There's nothing to be done here. "'But embrace me, my good little father. "'It's a long time since I've seen you. "'So you're out?' "'Thenardier tried to disentangle himself from Eponine's arms and grumbled. "'That's good. You've embraced me. "'Yes, I'm out. I'm not in. Now get away with you.' but Eponine did not release her hold, and redoubled her caresses. "'But how did you manage it, little pa? You have been very clever to get out of that. Tell me about it. And my mother? Where is mother? Tell me about mamma.' Thenardier replied, "'She's well. I don't know. Let me alone and be off, I tell you.' "'I won't go.' "'So there now,' pouted Eponine, like a spoiled child. "'You send me off, and it's four months since I saw you, and I've hardly had time to kiss you.' and she caught her father around the neck. "'Come, now, this is stupid,' said Babet. "'Make haste,' said Goumer. "'The cops may pass.' The ventriloquist's voice repeated his distich. "'Nous ne sommes pas la jour de l'un.' "'This isn't New Year's Day. "'A bécoté papa mamma to peck at pa and ma.' Eponine turned to the five ruffians. "'Why, it's Monsieur Brujon. "'Good day, Monsieur Babet.' "'Good day, Monsieur Cloxou. "'Don't you know me, Monsieur Goulmer? "'How goes it, Montparnasse?' "'Yes, they know you,' ejaculated Thenardier. "'But good day, good evening, sure off, leave us alone!' "'It's the hour for foxes, not chickens,' said Montparnasse. "'You see the job we have on hand here,' added Babet. "'Eponine caught Montparnasse's hand. "'Take care,' he said. "'You'll cut yourself. I've a knife open.' "'My little Montparnasse,' responded Eponine very gently. "'You must have confidence in people. "'I am the daughter of my father, perhaps. 
Monsieur Babet, Monsieur Gilmer, I am the person who was charged to investigate this matter. It is remarkable that Eponine did not talk slang. That frightful tongue had become impossible to her since she had known Marius. She pressed in her hand, small, bony, and feeble as that of a skeleton, Goulmer's huge, coarse fingers, and continued, "'You know well that I am no fool. Ordinarily I am believed. I have rendered you service on various occasions. Well, I have made inquiries. You will expose yourselves to no purpose, you see. I swear to you that there is nothing in this house.' "'There are lone women,' said Goulmer. "'No persons have moved away.' "'The candles haven't, anyway,' ejaculated Babet. "'And he pointed out to Eponine, across the tops of the trees, "'a light which was wandering about in the mansard roof of the pavilion. "'It was Toussaint, who had stayed up to spread out some linen to dry. "'Eponine made a final effort. "'Well,' said she, "'they're very poor folks, and it's a hovel where there isn't a sou.' "'Go to the devil!' cried Thenardier. "'When we've turned the house upside down "'and put the cellar at the top and the attic below, "'we'll tell you what there is inside, "'and whether it's francs or sous or half-farthings.' "'And he pushed her aside with the intention of entering. "'My good friend, Mr. Montparnasse,' said Eponine, "'I entreat you. You are a good fellow. Don't enter.' "'Take care, you'll cut yourself,' replied Montparnasse. Thenardier resumed in his decided tone. "'Decamp, my girl, and leave men to their own affairs.' Eponine released Montparnasse's hand, which she had grasped again, and said, "'So you mean to enter this house?' "'Rather,' grinned the ventriloquist. Then she set her back against the gate, faced the six ruffians who were armed to the teeth, and to whom the knight lent the visages of demons, and said in a firm, low voice, "'Well, I don't mean that you shall.' They halted in abasement. The ventriloquist, however, finished his grin. She went on, "'Friends, listen well. This is not what you want.' Now I am talking. In the first place, if you enter this garden, if you lay a hand on this gate, I'll scream, I'll beat on the door, I'll rouse everybody, I'll have the whole six of you seized, I'll call the police. She'd do it, too, said Thenardier in a low tone to Brujon and the ventriloquist. She shook her head and added, Beginning with my father! Thenardier stepped near. Not so close, my good man, said she. He retreated, growling between his teeth. "'Why, what's the matter with her?' And he added, "'Bitch!' She began to laugh in a terrible way. "'As you like. But you shall not enter here. I am not the daughter of a dog, since I am the daughter of a wolf. There are six of you. What matters that to me? You are men. Well, I am woman. You don't frighten me. I tell you that you shan't enter this house, because it doesn't suit me. If you approach, I'll bark. I told you, I'm the dog, and I don't care a straw for you. Go your way, you bore me. Go where you please, but don't come here. I forbid it. You can use your knives. I'll use kicks. It's all the same to me. Come on. She advanced a pace near the ruffians. She was terrible. She burst out laughing. Partine, I am not afraid. I shall be hungry this summer, and I shall be cold this winter. Aren't they ridiculous, these ninnies of men, who think they can scare a girl? What? 
Scare? Oh, yes, much, because you have finical puppets of mistresses who hide under the bed when you put on a big voice. Forsooth, I ain't afraid of anything. That I ain't. She fastened her intent gaze upon Thenardier and said, Not even you, father. Then she continued, as she cast her bloodshot, spectre-like eyes upon the ruffians in turn, What do I care if I'm picked up to-morrow morning on the pavement of the Rue Plumet, killed by the blows of my father's club, or whether I'm found a year from now in the nets at Saint-Cloud, or the Isle of Swan, in the midst of rotten old corks and drowned dogs? She was forced to pause. She was seized by a dry cough. Her breath came from her weak and narrow chest, like the death-rattle. She resumed, I have only to cry out, and people will come, and then slap, bang! There are six of you. I represent the whole world. Thenardier made a movement towards her. Don't approach, she cried. He halted, and said gently, Well, no, I won't approach, but don't speak so loud. So you intend to hinder us in our work, my daughter, but we must earn our living all the same. Have you no longer any kind of feeling for your father? You bother me, said Eponine. We must live, we must eat, burst! So saying, she seated herself on the underpinning of the fence and hummed, Mon bras si dordu, my arm so plump, ma jambe bien faite, my leg well formed, et le temps perdu, and time wasted. She had set her elbow on her knee, and her chin in her hand, and she swung her foot with an air of indifference. Her tattered gown permitted a view of her thin shoulder-blades. The neighboring street-lantern illuminated her profile and her attitude. Nothing more resolute and more surprising could be seen. The six rascals, speechless and gloomy at being held in check by a girl, retreated beneath the shadow cast by the lantern, and held counsel with furious and humiliated shrugs. In the meantime she stared at them with a stern but peaceful air. "'There's something the matter with her,' said Babet. "'A reason. Is she in love with the dog? It's a shame to miss this, anyway. Two women, an old fellow who lodges in the back yard, and curtains that ain't so bad at the windows. The old cove must be a Jew. I think the job's a good one.' "'Well, go in, then, the rest of you,' exclaimed Montparnasse. "'Do the job. I'll stay here with the girl, and if she fails us—' He flashed the knife, which he held open in his hand, in the light of the lantern. Thenardier said not a word, and seemed ready for whatever the rest pleased. Boujon, who was somewhat of an oracle, and who had, as the reader knows, put up the job, had not as yet spoken. He seemed thoughtful. He had the reputation of not sticking at anything, and it was known that he had plundered a police post simply out of bravado. Besides this, he made verses and songs which gave him great authority. Babé interrogated him. "'Say you nothing, Brujon?' Brujon remained silent an instant longer. Then he shook his head in various ways, and finally concluded to speak. "'Oh, that's bad. Let's quit.' They went away. As they went, Montparnasse muttered, "'Never mind. If they had wanted, I'd have cut her throat.' Babé responded, I wouldn't. I don't hit a lady. 
At the corner of the street they halted and exchanged the following enigmatical dialogue in a low tone. "'Where shall we go to sleep to-night?' "'Under Patin, Paris.' "'Have you the key to the gate, Thenardier?' "'Pardi.' Eponine, who never took her eyes off of them, saw them retreat by the road by which they had come. She rose and began to creep after them along the walls and the houses. She followed them thus as far as the boulevard. There they parted, and she saw these six men plunge into the gloom where they appeared to melt away. End of Book 8 Chapter 4